0: You know, that's good. Hey, uh, King Jesus, you are awesome. I pray that you would help me speak and communicate. also pray for all the hearts that are listening to your word today, that we would be moved away from our just default settings and into more of a heavenly perspective. So grow us and stretch us, and we pray against the enemy and for your great kingdom and your name. Amen. All right, guys, we're picking up in Acts chapter 4. Last week, we did a pretty darn tough sermon on a theological issue. Not easy to swallow, but a lot of you came back. So that's a testament to you of like, hey, way to go. I thought there was a good chance it was just going to be us in the speatons here this morning. I didn't know how it was going to go. So you guys are awesome, but just know from us, even when we deal with difficult topics, which are just gonna come up through the text, because we just follow through the book of Acts right now. That's what we're doing. And if the text lands on something that is culturally anathema and upsetting to many, guess what, we're just gonna upset you. We're just going to take what God said, and we're gonna deliver the mail and let the chips fall where they may. Is that all right? Is courage completely dead and we must kowtow and bow to whatever cultural elements are being thrust upon us? That's right, Wayne's giving a big thumbs down. Negative, negative. We are a church with a backbone and we love Jesus and we are going to preach hard truths by the power of the Holy Spirit. Cool, that's it, that's it. Yeah, thanks, we haven't even done the thing yet. We haven't, even, we haven't even jumped in and we're already, all right, party on. So in Acts so far, we have seen this ground swelling movement. You know, they didn't have their own pens. Yes, like like we did. No pins, but their church was growing leaps and bounds. There was no Christian church. Jesus ascended up into heaven, and right before he went, he says, hey, you guys are going to build my church. I've already shown you the great truths. I've already built uh, the cornerstone foundation that's going in, and it's up to you guys to grow the church. And so Jesus did everything to set us up for this great movement, and all of a sudden, conversion started happening. Peter stood up in uh, Jerusalem at the Temple Mount, issued a sermon and 3,000 folks got saved. Like that's a moot, 3,000 people? All of a sudden I don't feel so cool about my pens anymore. Because it's like pens, 3,000 people saved... Some of y'all can't do that math very easy, but the 3,000 saved is a bigger deal than even the pens. That's, that's amazing. Then, then they arrest them, they persecute them after preaching another sermon, and 5,000 get saved. And so, holy cow, this is a, this is a massive, massive movement. And they've experienced persecution, um, trying to be censored and bullied and shut up, and they refused to. And you're seeing something that is, let's just jump into the text today because it's going to kind of blow your mind. This is going to be so countercultural. It's going to be so otherworldly that s- some of this text will make you feel uncomfortable. You're like, how in the world could this happen? Where, where, does that, where else does that happen? Is this even possible? And yet here in the first century, they pulled something off that is really just frankly a bit beyond my own understanding. Uh, I can understand the ideal, but this actually happened. Here, let's jump in to verse 32 of chapter four. We'll put it on the screen here. And speaking of Bible, here, Lily, back us up one. I wanted to, Pastor Chris did announcements. I wanna do an announcement. I am so proud of my boys right here. Uh, John Lucas, can I borrow this Bible, please? This is my oldest son, John Lucas is 11. And this is his Bible. He graduated not too long ago from a kid's adventure Bible, which he read for years, into an adult Bible. This is a man's Bible right here. Uh, so he, he he graduated. This is not the cool thing, though, but he graduated to this because he's actually reading it, understanding a lot of it, and he loves the Word. He's reading all the time. So is uh, Judah. Judah's still in his kid's adventure Bible and loving it, right? And, uh, but... Uh, My oldest went to a man's Bible, and he just finished. A a couple days ago, he finished the New Testament. Finished the New Testament. So, way to go. I don't know what special thing I'm going to do for him yet. I told him once he reads the entire Bible, he's going to get one of daddy's Bibles, and that's all marked up. It's got, who knows, hundreds of hours in one of these others, and so I've got Three Bibles that have gone completely through, underlined. I have a unique mapping system so I can find anything I want whenever I want. And, uh, and so I, I got those other two Bibles. Those have been my work Bibles for years. And so when they finish the Bible, I'm going to gift them that. So Daddy's Bible and like bougie calfskin. I'm like, I'm a Bible snob. You're like, calfskin? I'm like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I got nice spots. See how they lay flat? And they'll, they'll outlast me family heirloom so anyway that's just a peek behind the veil at the level household to let you know that our, I, i'm very proud of our son's reading judah where are you at in the new testament right now uh, first, corinthians. first corinthians fantastic so he got through all the gospels uh, acts and romans so i'm preaching Acts, but you've already read acts so you can just punch out you can you can hit the road you've you've already been through all this where are you going kid <laughs> Where are you going? Anyway, I'm proud of my sons. They love the word. They are reading and they're growing. Uh, Judah's nine, oh, fantastic. All right, here we go. So uh, Acts four thirty two. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Check that out. Listen, they were of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, right? Imagine if like Chris's keys are on the table there to his truck, and I just kind of swipe those and be like, don't mind if I do. And he's like, yeah, it's not mine. It's ours. It's our truck. I'm like, that'd be a bit incomprehensible of all, all of our possessions and stuff. If like, can you even picture what this would look like societally? It's one thing to read, but understand... That they actually were living this way they were so pumped up on mission for what was going on that typically where people would regard their own possessions and retirement plans and vehicles and, and all their stuff you know I, I guess it wasn't vehicles it was like donkeys and stuff but still hey, that's a vehicle it's just a one horsepower horse you know <laughs> but still they had their stuff but it's kind of like hey it was just this kind of utopia this little picture where they were consummately generous and open-handed with each other. Of like, America, we're, we're the exact opposite. Of We're like land of excess, and when it comes to money and possessions, we're incredibly protective. There's a lot of folks that'll gripe to no end when a pastor will even bring money up, even though Jesus talks about money all the time and says stuff like, where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. We have this culturally acceptable thing in America where you're like, well, I don't want to judge them. I don't know their heart. I'm like, give me their checkbook. I'll tell you where their heart is. No, you can like literally know what's important to somebody. You just look at their finances, right? Your accountant knows what's important to you. You say, I love Jesus. And your accountant's like, actually, you're really pumped about yourself. That's it. You just really love yourself. That's what the bank account says. Your bank account knows your heart because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Isn't that interesting? We'd like it to be all nebulous, like you can't pin anything down of like, I have no idea how your heart is. I'm like, no, you can tell a tree by its fruit and where your treasure is, there your heart is even. And it's not absolute, like I could completely frame you out, like I know Wayne because I see the numbers. It's not that, but it is a big clue, isn't it? And it's a good thing because you can kind of like, hey, where am I at spiritually with Jesus? If you want to hold up a mirror and have a sober assessment of where you are, you can be like, all right, what do I do with my money? What do I do with my time? What do I do with my thought life? What do I do with my energy? What's my prayer life like? Am I serving in church? Am I loving other people? There's all kinds of clues that check in. What we don't do is just allow our temporary emotions in the middle of a worship service to allow us to feel like we're really more spiritual than we are. Spirituality is actually rooted in the physicality and the here and now as well as it is in our hearts, and our minds. You understand? Very good. All right, so they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, Now, I have three things that really jumped out at me on the text. One is these people were contented. I know this because they had everything in common and they were sharing and uh, they were giving generously. They're taking balance sheet assets, selling them because they wanted to fund the kingdom. I'm like, all right, very good. But imagine what kind of contentment you would have because typically... You and I, were in a race to kind of get that big retirement nest egg so that we can kick back in Tahiti with our feet up and a little, I was picturing like ice cold glass with one of those little umbrellas and there's got to be some fruit in there. What fruit would y'all put in there? Oranges. And you got a little cheap sword, you know, you got a little sword in there with the cherries like, Yeah, I'll get one of those and I'll do the retirement thing and I won't have to work anymore. And so we're trying to like, let's get the money, let's get the house paid off and let's get all the stuff in great. Uh, you know, of like, uh, don't be in debt. That's a fantastic thing. Uh, but they were content with what they had. Uh, you know, th- there's various scriptures that have kind of uh, jumped out over the years and kind of punched me in the face where it's like, don't give me riches and don't give me poverty. Give me just my daily bread. What, maybe if we just had a roof over our heads and we had food in our mouths, maybe that'd just be enough. Maybe we could be actually content rather than this financial carrot always dangling in front of us thinking if I just got a raise or if I just upgraded my car or if I just got that extra whatever thing then I would be happy and then I would be content but really what happens to us in our financially obsessed cultural selves the moment we get that thing something else shiny and new replaces it doesn't it are we ever going to just be content with what we have so that we can start seeing the mission that Jesus is on and the kingdom he wants to build so that we could jump in? But instead, we're always just trying to get that one little extra bump to serve ourselves and buy for ourselves. What I notice here is that they are actually content with what they have. Amen. The American dream, though, says, I want more. And you lie to yourself and say, I just want a little bit more and then I'll be good. It's not a little bit more, because once you get it, you'll want a little bit more still. And when you add up all the littles, you'll be like, I want a lot more. That's what it means. And if we stop lying to ourselves, we'll realize we're really not content, are we? And meanwhile, the apostle Paul later in the New Testament says, hey, I've learned the secret in being content, whether having a lot or a little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's like, the secret to contentment is really leaning on Jesus and whether he's giving you a lot or a little, I'm good either way. I got Jesus, I got daily bread, rock and roll. Let's get on point and work for eternal treasures. Souls are perishing and going into destruction. Let's wager everything we got on rescuing people from the fire. How about that? How about that mission? Let's trade worldly wealth, four souls. Isn't that cool? Um, there, I, I didn't plan on sharing half of this, but it's all just kind <clears> of <throat> right there. Um, there was a missionary who got killed by Indians. It was Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot. This was in the mid 1900s uh, or so. Uh, and he has a quote. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot possibly keep. To gain what he cannot possibly lose, and I thought that is really really strong. So they had everything in uh, common. They were contented. That's the first thing I noticed. The second thing is they're united in mission. Instead of everyone caring about their own little sector right there, everyone's so inundated, so focused on the mission that sharing becomes something really natural. As uh, Matthew six says, they didn't know what their left hand, their left hand didn't know what their right hand was doing. I was a military guy, and uh, as an infantry guy, as an assaulter, as an army ranger, uh, if we were ever to plow through an objective and we're taking land, uh, moving through a non-permissive environment uh, and doing our rangerific things, as soon as we got through, maybe we got in a gunfight, uh, and uh, you're a little bit low on ammo, what we do is we, <laughs> Will's being kind of like, bro, I'm, like, hey, I'm a weird pastor, all right, Don't ju- I'm not judging you guys. Can I just be me? Is that all right? All right, fantastic. So there's uh, certain priorities of work after assaulting through a various objective. Uh, first thing you do is you make sure you're not hurt. You can get shot and not realize it. So a team leader oftentimes would be like, are you hurt? And you'll actually do a visual inspection. All right, no... Uh, Whatever, good. All right, everybody's good, and you're you're scanning your sectors, making sure everything's good. Then you'll call maybe special teams, and that's a sensitive site exploitation where you move through an objective and gather any intelligence you can. Uh, you find out if there's any any bad guys hiding in little things so they can't uh, light you up from the rear, and then you're going to do an ammo redistribution maybe I shot a good bit and my buddy over here, nobody was in his lane, he didn't shoot much at all. And so what we do is like, hey, how many mags you got? I've got five, I've got two. And so he'll give me one. So now we're both three and three. Now, there's no real thought to this. It's not kind of like, but I want that ammo. It's like, no, he needs me to have, we need to spread out ammo across our force so that we're strong because his presence does the group Absolutely no good if he runs out of ammo. Now we've got this big hole in our line. We got a hole in our mission. Now he's out of ammo and two other dudes are topped off really heavy and full. Well actually, a third of our line now is out of commission because you're hoarding ammo, you have none, and you're hoarding ammo, you see? So soldiers will redistribute ammo so that we can stay effective on mission. This is an exact picture of how the disciples were seeing. Well, maybe not. They weren't thinking ranger things. (laughs) But the metaphor is good because what they saw is, no, 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 we're on mission for Jesus. And we need everybody's needs, basic needs met, so that we can all stay in the fight together, so that we can all do kingdom work. Hey, we're doing this type ministry. And I'm like, I can't pay my basic bills and afford food. And I can't, I not only can't participate in helping you build the ministry, I've got to go out and get a third job. I'm like, bro, we we got, we got, we got stuff we got to do. We got ministry to do. I'm like, you can't do the third job. Let's do two jobs. And and -and so-and-so who has an abundance, he's volunteered to, to help out with such and such. And this other guy, he's got a pretty darn good job he's going to offer you. And in this way, we're taking care of each other. You get it? And so the, the saints, the church looks around and sees, okay, like, all right, who's struggling? Who can we help? And it's not this kind of like, behold, I am generous and somebody else receives. It's no, like, I'm giving this because I need you in the spiritual fight for souls. I need you on mission and not so heavily distracted through dire poverty. I can't have you impoverished. Then all of your focus goes into survival. I need all of us up on plane well enough so that we can be obsessed with winning souls for Christ. You get it? This is our ammo distribution. And no pastor has ever used that metaphor before. I'm the first. (laughs) You know, some of you dudes packing heat, great protectors. I'll say a lot more things, but all you'll remember this Sunday is that spot-on pipe-hitting analogy, you know? (laughs) All right, let's move on. They were contented and they were united in mission. The third thing is they were extremely generous. Now, some folks uh, erroneously will ascribe this text to support socialism. See, they, well, look, look, look. No one said they had any of the things that belonged to them, but they had everything in common, right? Is this first century socialism? What would be the big difference between socialism and what you see happening here in the first century? Yes, bud. Oh, uh, because they're taking it away from the society. That's right. Socialism takes money from the people. And if you refuse to give it, they send people with guns to take it. That's ultimately what happened. So they're taking the money by force, uh, ultimately, and then redistributing. What's happening here, though? Is anyone taking money? No, it's freely given. And that's the idea. That's the huge difference. It's, uh, these people have the money that is their possessions, and they're like, yeah, but it's not worth much. Just how do we convert the money into church growth ministry. And so they were trying to redistribute it into that. They were trying to convert tangible finite currency into something that would last forever and produce eternal treasure. That's what they were trying to do there. And so they were giving freely. And so let's just go ahead and call uh, using this text as a support for socialism. Let's call it stupid because that is not true in any way. Uh, Next thing we'll say is, Uh, This will blow your mind. They were giving publicly. They were giving publicly. That means they knew what each other was giving. Look, they said, hey, Barnabas just sold a field and he gave the amount at the apostles' feet. It was a public giving. Everyone was giving publicly. Now, this is a bit of a theological act because have you ever, do y'all ever talk about how much you give? Like, bro, no, that, giving is supposed to be private. And like, you should tell the apostles that because they didn't get that memo. <laughs> they didn't get that at all. Uh, let's look at a couple texts, though, because one is I see a very public giving happening here. I also see in Jesus' time, he was sitting in the temple watching what everyone was giving, and that was a practice. You would go up, and your gift in the first century in synagogue was a public offering. And he was able to watch. And, that, and then he saw the widow's mind and she gave, uh, you know, all that she had. Remember those two pennies? It, like she gave everything she had. Look, it was public offering. So I see examples of a public offering where people knew who was giving what. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Now, there, there's, there's some texts that tell us where private giving came from. So let's just follow the text and let's just see where it leads us. Here it is. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to go there as well. Actually, I'm just going to read it from the screen. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that you may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, question. Does this mean all of your giving should be in secret? I'll give you a clue. The very next verses says, similarly, when you pray, do not pray as the hypocrites who make a big show and uh, you know, basically stand on the corner of the streets and, and, and so they, they feel like they will be praised because their words are many. Don't pray like them. So, how you treat the prayer verses, you also have to treat the giving verses. You would have to say, yes, this means all giving is private, then it must follow, all prayer must be private as well. See the problem? What, however you treat one verse, you have to treat the next verse because it's the exact same unshifting context. Now, what, he's sa- what, what Jesus is saying here is not all your giving should be private because actually a, mo- a lot of the giving was public. He's saying, hey, you need to examine your hearts to figure out, why you're praying. If most of your prayers are public, then you're a hypocrite. Most of your prayers should be private. And and when I treat it like that, perhaps because our hearts are are sinful and it's difficult for us to give uh, and not try to get the the praise of mankind, uh, perhaps because that's difficult, I think most giving should be private too. I think that should be between you and the Lord. Do it secretly so that you'll get treasure in heaven and you're not doing it for the praise of man, right? It'd be easy to give away, but you're not really trying to please God and you're not really loving that person. What I'm trying to do is getting you to think well of me. That's what the hypocrites were doing. When they were giving, they would sound the trumpet. Uh, College student, can I have a volunteer? Come on, be brave. You won't have to come up here. Three, two. Oh, fantastic! All right, very good. So it'd be like this: I is a Pharisee. I, Pharisee, leader of the Sanhedrin, have decided to, on this day to giveth my generosity unto this poor and needy college student. Oh, see my gift. Look at that. You see that? <laughs> bonafide fide, authentic. See it, touch it. Not so fast, my generosity. I have given you this money now. Everyone, give me a round of applause. I have earned it. I have earned it. I Pharisee have been generous, and you have received. There, you can actually keep that because I was a college uh, student that was broke once. This is a cautionary tale. Is used if you. Put your hand up, you're gonna got 20 bucks. So next time, volunteer, boldest lions, right? Uh, very good. This is, is an exaggeration, maybe, of what the Pharisees would do. They gave so that you would think that they were spiritual. It was a big to do, right? And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't be, cra- that's crazy right there, right? But he's also not saying, all of your giving should be in secret all this giving was public right here I'm sure some of it is private because how would we know but the giving was in uh, public let's look at another uh, scripture here oh uh, actually before we do I thought hey we read the Bible and we try to model what the Bible's saying right I want to build a church that's based Straight on Bible. I noticed in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, the uh, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, Bible. They uh, they committed themselves to the breaking of bread, fellowship, hanging out with each other, taking communion in the Lord's supper, remembering Jesus, enduring persecution boldly in a world that wants to censor you and bully you away from the truth. I want to build a grassroots movement in the apostolic era, era that is courageous, bold, forcefully advancing on the truth of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to do. And so what the Bible says I want to do, regardless of how culturally upsetting it may be. Uh, I w- uh, our parent church uh, is uh, called Gray City Church, Wenatchee. That's who's planting us. And when I was out there, a few months ago, I participated in something called Legacy Team. doesn't mean anything to you, but when I said it, uh, the Speetons immediately were I'm like, oh yeah, Legacy Team. This was crazy because I'd never seen anything like it. What Legacy Team was is a small group of people who were extremely wealthy, in, in my estimation. Anyway, They would come together and uh, maybe a few times a year, they would uh, pledge a certain amount of money that they were going to give to the church. Now, this is the thing, I attended that legacy team meeting when I was out in Washington a few months ago and had never seen anything like it because one by one, they came up, there was a big whiteboard and then they would come up to the whiteboard and say, all right, this is how I arrive at the number that we're pledging for the next year or two. And then they would explain and then whatever and how the Lord was leading them and what they were excited about. And then they would turn around in front of the whole small group and they would write a number on the board. $300,000. And everyone, (laughs) yeah, clapping all the way around. Celebration, joyful giving. Now to you and I, that may seem incomprehensible. Like, what? One is, that's a lot of money. All of a sudden, my pens and $20 doesn't seem like a lot. I'm like, I didn't. I gave twenty. <laughs> no, but that's not the point. It doesn't matter. Of everyone should look in their own hearts and their own position. I'm just saying this was an otherworldly experience that I did. Another guy gets up. One million dollars pledged. And the room went nuts. Electrifying. And I'm like, holy cow. I wa- you know what was going through my head and heart? I want to go work harder and smarter so that I can give away a lot. That's what was going through my heart. What I noticed in their radical generosity was it inspired me to be more generous too. And this is Satan's plan for you as well. Let's make giving this secret thing you never talk about and in so doing, we never promote generosity with each other. It's a lie. Oh, this is so uncomfortable. I'm going to give. Uh, Actually, I'm not the first uh, offering. Here is our first offering for the church. We've never received one. This is from Asher. Asher is our pet lizard. He is a bearded dragon. Because he lacks opposable thumbs, has no job, and lives in a small terrarium, I don't think Asher actually gave us this gift at all. I think my sons gave us this gift, and they wanted to give it secretly and anonymously but it's the first gift so you can't do that so um this is our first offering from the church never had one before and i'm so proud my sons through our bearded dragon lizard uh who who gave it in proxy is the first offering of the church right here yeah you know i'll have gifts Uh, Pastor Chris and Renee, they'll have gifts. You'll have gifts, but maybe, just maybe, it's that gift that the Lord just smiles on and he he looks left and right in heaven and he says, watch this. And he takes that leap of faith. They gave generously, guys. Uh, He took that leap of faith, and they don't have jobs. Take that leap of faith and spread it like wildfire. I am excited to see what the Lord's gonna do. I'm the second offering Becca and I It's 10 grand, 10 grand public. It's gone. I, I slammed it. So I couldn't like it gets second to the leg. That's a good bet. I will tell you, uh, Beck and I have made pledges and we're going to keep, uh, the lion's share of what we're going to be giving over the next two years private. Cause I want most of our giving to be private. It is far more than that, but this is what we gave today publicly. Got it? The majority of our, our giving will be in private. I want that blessing from the Lord. Got it? Uh, I'm serving this church free of charge. I do not receive it. I'm, like, I'm going to pay myself 10 grand this week. No, I work, I work for you for free. Uh, got it? And uh, I'm going to give generously because I believe in what the Lord has called us to. I do. And so what, what, what the Lord knows my heart. I'm not trying to get praise of you. I'm not. I'm trying to inspire you to generosity for your own benefit. Because we get to stay open. Now we have rent for months, you know, and when we go into another building, when the Lord brings that, He's going to have to provide for that. But I want to be part of that. I want that blessing. I want to do something incredible. Cash isn't worth much anyway. <laughs> you like that at all? Let Biden keep going for a few months. That'll be like, that's like, that's like six loaves of bread, man. <laughs> oh, it's funny, but it hurts. Let's look at some more stuff dealing with giving. Check it out. Second Corinthians. Punch it. All right. For in a severe test of affliction, this is uh, writing to the Macedonians, that's in Greece. Uh, Paul says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, are these rich people? No, these are not rich people. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These were poor people who gave more than they could afford. Uh, and they did so begging earnestly to take favor in mission. Let's look at one more text. Nope, uh-uh, it's not up there, so I'll just go manual here. Second Corinthians nine, Uh, Verse six, it says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's the thing. Hey, decide what you would like to give in your own heart, not under compulsion because you want, but because you want to, that's it. And guess what? Right now, I don't need your money. Uh, And God doesn't need your money either. God does want your heart. And guess what's one of the main indicators of what is standing between your heart and God? Unfortunately, it's what you love. It's your money. So in giving God your money, you're actually giving him your heart as well. Now, there's more to that because your heart isn't your money. uh, But it shows where your heart is. Got it? So I don't want to conflate the two, but I'm just showing you I'm, I'm not seeking uh, what you have. I'm seeking who you are is what God is looking for. Now, we didn't warn anyone. We're doing uh, offerings for the first time. We wanted to go ahead and just model it. Uh, and so there it is. But know that we'll have a drop box here. So uh, however y'all want to give to our movement, rock on. We're going through the text. Whatever the text leads us to, that's what we talk about on Sunday. Now, we wanted to uh, uh, finish our time, which we don't have a lot on, in a real special way of communion. So that's what we're doing this morning. Communion. Hey, a round of applause. We've been looking forward to this. Yes! Communion. Lord's Supper. We're really doing it, guys. We're doing that church thing, and it's amazing. So uh, let's uh, go in and see what communion actually is. I'm in 1 Corinthians 11. All right. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, his last time hanging with all of his disciples before his resurrection, he had bread and he had wine. And he wanted to take the most common food and the most common drink, bread and wine, and say, hey, as often as you have this most common of food and most common of drink, I want you to remember me. I want a solemn moment of remembrance. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a testimony, but you are remembering us. Remember also in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to Bible, to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship, right? They were having communion. I was just in uh, Rome, Italy uh, a few weeks ago, and I was standing inside the catacombs where these sacred assemblies were happening. You could feel this old, old air of, persecuted Christians who were breathing that same air in these dark labyrinth of tunnels. And you saw little communion tables, which I preached Hebrews 11 at. So fun. And they were having sacred ancient communions back in the second, third, no, third, fourth, fifth centuries. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, the disciples were following Jesus' example, and today we get the opportunity to join hands with them in worshiping God the way he told us to. Isn't that cool? This connects us to all past, present, and future Christians as we, the body of Christ, remember him with a special, solemn assembly. Got it? Now, because I don't really care too much about culture uh, anymore, I just wanna go straight to what does the Bible say? And so Jesus gave us a symbol for his blood. What was that symbol? Wine. wine, so we got wine up there. We also have a symbol of a symbol, which is grape juice, which is not what they were drinking. I don't really care, whatever, if like you've like, dude, I'm an alcoholic. I'm like, right over there, you're the grape juice guy. That's you, if like, I don't know, over there. So I don't really care how you roll, uh, but we wanted to provide the option, right? Uh, what do you guys you think? You sprinkle baptize or you dunk baptize? Why not sprinkle? Why not just sprinkle? Because God didn't do it. Well, Jesus, it was full immersion. Could sprinkle get the job done? Maybe so, kind of so. I don't know. I don't want to get into it. But if you want to say dunk, why? Because that was the symbol given. Great. Wine was given. Right? Same there's the symbol. And so what I want to do is uh, follow Jesus in obedience and not say, I'm actually more spiritual than your symbol you gave. Uh, So uh, we wanted to provide the opportunity. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I encourage you to Go to the Lord in prayer about it, wrestle around, but we have a uh, option over here on this other side. Now, all this comes with a warning. I'm about to invite uh, Pastor Chris up to be able to administer these elements to us, but I wanted to give kind of a warning as well. This is something that is just for those who have given their lives away to Jesus. So this is just for sure family of faith. There came about a warning in uh, Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. This is something, this is a solemn ceremony for just those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Got it? So, uh, anyway, with that, I'm going to have Pastor Chris walk us through what we do now. And, uh, guys, I am thrilled to be able to spend this Sunday with you as we're seeing how the apostles lived, what they were doing, and then we're just saying, hey, I'm going to model it as closely as I can on my Sunday morning and also with my life. So let's share the Lord's Supper together.